Hello guys, welcome to the first episode of the Kickabout podcast. This is where we talk all things football, looking at the big leagues with the big stories, whilst also deep diving into the hidden gems you may not know about. My name's Ben Hislop and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Jack Tosman and Matt Chimea. Hello. Now, <laughs> the whole world's having a bit of a mad one with the coronavirus right now and it's kind of put a stop to the whole footballing world so in the meantime we're gonna take a look at the past seasons but before that let's get into the stories of the week uh matcha i believe you have the first story for us yeah so um this week there's kind of a website i follow uh, called the football observatory uh basically it takes loads of data loads of stats which i love bit of a nerd for the stats in football uh, and this week, they've kind of released the most valuable players born from 2000 onwards, um, basically just in the top five leagues. And I thought it was really interesting looking at it. Um, I mean, I think number one is Jaden Sancho, which isn't surprising. Not at all. Uh, but he, he is also like double uh, number two, who's Erling Haaland. So yeah, Sancho's worth nearly 200 million euros and Haaland's just over 100 million euros in value. But um, the real interesting ones for me is uh, players like Phil Foden, who, I mean, clearly he's a talented player, but mm-hmm. he just doesn't play much. And no, apparently, no. He's, apparently he's worth 50 million euros. Uh, and then further down the list at 36 is Sandro Tonali, who uh, has been an ever-present in the uh, Brescia team in Serie A all season. Um, and he's probably been their best player. Uh, and he's £15 million pounds less. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I think that also has to count for his position as well, because I'm pretty sure yeah. he's um, CDM. Yeah, he's a, he's more of a defensive player. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, it's there's a lot of English players on that list that are really high. There's Mason Greenwood's up there as well at £50 million. Wow. <laughs> I know. Well, uh, I mean, hudson Adoy. I'm a Chelsea fan. But I, I, yeah. don't, I don't think he's worth 72 million, as they're saying. Yeah, it is It is a bit ridiculous. It kind of shows you um, the how the market's kind of risen. Because I remember when I first was getting into the Premier League, like 2009, 2010, the maximum a player would go for was 20 million. And we thought, whoa, that's such a crazy amount. And now that, that just gets you a player who's coming from the Championship. Yeah, I mean, I think I think English players, especially, get kind of this this overhype. I know Jack's a Bournemouth fan, but the two players that stand out for me are Jordan Ive and Dominic Solanke mm. for fifteen and twenty million. That's crazy money. Yeah, considering well, what um, they achieved in the game. Callum Wilson a couple of years ago got linked with Chelsea for like seventy million, and I'm like, yeah, that, that is worth- ridiculous. Jack, do you want to go ahead for the next story? So um, this isn't um, from the week, but uh, I thought it was an important one to discuss. Um, the uh, the ban for Man City in um, Europe football, I think it's a very important to uh, topic to discuss. Um, so everyone probably knows the story. It's quite well documented story. Um, Man City have been um, accused and found out that they've been... Um, are breaking certain laws. Um, won't go 
probably a lot more backstage stuff that I don't know about, and I don't want to be called wrong. Um, and due to this, I think it was in between the years 2012 and 2016, just before Pep Guardiola even signed. So he's being punished for something he probably didn't even do, um, which I think is quite unfair, but it's the punishment valid. Um, they have a ban for two years for all European football and have had to pay 30 million euros. Uh, yeah. Because I read somewhere it was 2.5 billion euros they um, harboured in without telling anybody for transfers. Yeah. Um, I think I... How, how extortionate money is at the moment in football. I, whilst, whilst football's a big thing, why do you need that so much money when there's other people in the league just scraping by at the little funds they have. I don't think it's necessary to, to break those rules like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to buy the league, which is a phrase thrown about. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd just like to chuck back to you, Matcha, being a Chelsea fan. Because um, City are kind of Chelsea 2.0, really. Yeah, yeah. No, really silly. Like, Chelsea wouldn't... I mean, yeah, Chelsea were a big club, but they, they wouldn't have won the things that they've won without the money, obviously. Uh I think, I mean, historically, the teams that spent the most have always won in football. I mean, bar maybe Newcastle when they break the record on signing Alan Shearer. Uh, it's always kind of been where the money goes, the trophies follow. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think I'm surprised that City are the first ones that are really getting harsh punishment. Because I think a few years ago, PSG just got a fine. Yeah, but City yeah. also had a punishment as well, I think yeah. in 2016, if yeah. I remember, remember correctly. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm surprised. Um, I mean, Milan are also, AC Milan are also another example. Um, yeah. They were removed from the Europa League this year uh, due to wow. some FFP regulations that they failed to meet. So I think finally in the last few years, we've kind of seen the actual... Implementation um, of these fines and these bans to kind of tell clubs that you can't really go around spending spending yeah. all this cash. Yeah, and for a fan of a lower end club, um, you love to see it because whilst those big clubs are getting punished and us smaller clubs, I guess you can say, um, are playing good football and slowly rising through. I know Bournemouth aren't at the moment because we're. We're fairly, fairly close to the bottom, but um, we were playing good football and beating the players. Yeah. And um, it, it's just showing that we don't need to pay that money, and it's good to see those who do get punished. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I also want to talk about if we're saying talking about FFP. Um, I think I heard that the whole structure is basically you're not allowed to spend a certain limit over how much you earn. Yeah. That's that's how it works, I believe. Um, so obviously we, we all know the Arsenal's, the Cities, the Chelsea's, the United's, they have these mega million uh, pound deals coming in from sponsorships every year. But uh, Jack, I want to go back to you. Being a Bournemouth fan um, with a rather like tiny stadium, how... How, how, in a way, I'd say financial fair play affects you 
quite a fair bit because you don't earn loads. Um, I, I I assume you don't earn as like loads with sponsorships and revenue, and how that would affect your ability to sign players to keep you in the Premier League. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because the sort of the sort of poor, not poor, but this um, fighting for survival aspect of yeah. um, Bournemouth is sort of what draws fans. It's sort of what we love about the club is that um, we love the game and that's what we stand for. Um, not these big stadiums, not these these big flashy kits. Like we're there to play, um, and there, that is an issue of of. Um, keeping players and signing players. I know Ryan Fraser is refusing to sign another contract, which mm. is going to be a big blow next season. Mm. As an um, and uh, David Brooks, if if a scout comes and grabs him, I'm sure he'll be off, and that's again going to be a huge blow. Um, Nathan Ake also had a lot of rumours about people signing him. Um, so as well as it's it's difficult signing players, keeping players is also really challenging because everyone wants, you don't want to say it, but everyone wants to be paid as much as possible for doing what they love. And if we can't afford to keep them, then they're just going to go elsewhere, aren't they? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yes. Um, so, boys, is there anything else uh, you want to add to this section at the moment? Well, I think we covered it pretty well. I mean, oh, talk, okay. talking about Bournemouth, their stadium is amazing. It, to be fair, I do. I am a I am a Bournemouth yeah. fan. I, went, I lie. I went to a game there, and the atmosphere was amazing. Cause it was just you're so close to the pitch. You, you're mm. in touch and distance to the players. I think Peter Crouch was playing. It was just incredible how tall he was because it was against Stoke, I think. Okay. Um... So I want to move into our next section. This is um, going to be the main topic for the next few weeks, yeah. obviously, because of the lack of football at the moment. So I want to start something called football flashbacks. So that's where each week we take a look at a uh, past season and kind of reflect on it, have a look um, really on what's what's happened. So firstly, I want to look at the... 2010-11 season so we're throwing it way way back for you uh, so we're going to start in the Premier League yeah. so um, Matcha I'd like to if you could kick off just um, is there anything notable that you remember from the 2010-11 season yeah I mean uh, there was a few there was one player that stood well, there's two players that stood out to me for that year that I remember watching and being like, wow, they're a bit decent. And that was Adel Tarat in the championship with QPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he got like nine goals from midfield. It was like prime Lampard, but with a bit of five-star skills sort of in there, that player. And I remember Raphael van der Vaart coming to Tottenham and just wishing that he played for Chelsea because he was so good. His left foot, he was like, Christian Eriksen before Eriksen was around for Lemmy's yeah. yeah. Um so I'm just gonna bring up the table from the twenty Oh, this is a throwback, 2010-2011 season. I'm, um, pretty, I'm pretty sure Liverpool have already got more well, in the season that's on halt at the moment, have more points than United had that season and they won the league uh, United. I think Liverpool how many made... points 
I think Liverpool have 82 at the moment. United yeah, United won that season. Uh, 80, 80 points, 23 wins, 11 draws and only four losses, to be fair to them. Yeah, it's mad. Um, this is, I think... I think this is... Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> I think this is the uh, this is the season where City really started to yeah kick it up a gear because they were they were joint second with Chelsea on seventy one points. Um, yeah. Although they had did have the lowest goal difference in the top four with only sixty, Chelsea being second lowest at sixty nine. So they had quite a quite a long way to go. Um, Jack, I've got a quick question for you. Okay. I want you to take your guess at the three relegated teams. Blackburn? Nope. No. Fulham? No. Okay. I'll give you the name. I'll give you a. No. No, no. Okay, one of them, West Ham United, rock bottom, mm. 33 points. Then uh, Blackpool. Does anyone remember Blackpool being in the league? Yeah, Char- Charlie Adam tearing Char- it up in the field. Char- I remember the last Adam. game of the season, they played United, and I think it finished 4-2. And it was like the week before... Um, United played Barcelona in the Champions League final and they were like 2-1 down at one point. It was like, how are they going to deal with Xavi in midfield when they're struggling to deal with Charlie Adam? Mm. Oh. And Birmingham. Birmingham as well. Uh, I've got sad memories from the season, actually. I was going to say, um, didn't Birmingham win the League Cup over Arsenal that yes, season? Yes, they did. Even though they got relegated, um, yeah. I think it was... Zigic, a six foot four, six foot five striker, oh, yeah. uh, put it on onto. Oh, who was that? Over who was that Nigerian? Was it Over Martin? Martin? Yeah. Legend FIFA. Oh, honestly, this. Oh, I, I was not a happy boy then. Oh. Trust me, I was absolutely balling it. So, boys, take a guess. Uh, boys, the top two, it's actually a joint. In that. In the 2010-11 season, it was a joint top scorers. Uh, any guesses? Uh, I mean, I think Diego, uh, Didier, Diego Costa, I was about to say, Didier Drogba even was top scorer of the season before, I think, with like 30 goals. Uh, that would not like, surprise me. Then, uh, I think United finished top. So probably then someone from um, Yep, so it was two uh, Manchester players, one from City and one from United. Wow. So it's probably ugh, Tevez is probably a safe shout. He was at one of the clubs at the time. Uh City. I think he just transferred that summer, if I believe. I believe. Possibly, Possibly. yeah. Yeah, I'll have a quick look at that. Uh, yeah, probably Tevez. Uh, yeah, Tevez. Had he just moved to City? 
the other one is from Manchester United. Yep. Um, it's got to be one of our strikers. They didn't. They didn't. They rarely scored from the midfield. So the strikers that season, uh, Rooney. You, I would ask as a striker. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go, but it, yeah, it was Berbatov and Carlos Tevez, uh, both 20. Okay. Um, so I also want to get your boy's opinion on some of the transfers that happened. Uh, Jack? Yes, mate? When? No. Yeah. Sorry, hello? No worries. Um, you're not grateful for the NHS, are you not? No, I'm not grateful for the NHS. Wow, you're a very good teacher, Trent. No, it's going to be 8 o'clock outside. All right, I'll see you there. Better be there. Quick, get there. No, I know. Sorry. My sister just came in and yelled at me for not clapping. (laughs) Okay, uh, we have Sorry. we've got potential for the two worst transfers in Premier League history. Jack, uh, I'm yeah. going to chuck I'm going to chuck one at you. A match, I'm going to chuck the other one at you. So, Jack, Fernando Torres for fifty million to Chelsea. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I mean. In retrospect, it was probably a good signing. Um, he was he was doing well with Liverpool. Um, him and Zach Cout were proper, and and Craig Bellamy. To be fair, he had a good season as well. Um, that that top three was was something to be scared of. Um, yeah, I mean it makes sense. It makes sense that it would be for around that back back then. Now it's obviously laughable. Um, and he still didn't even pick up when he went back to. Um, Atletico Madrid, which was sad, but um, <laughs> at least the best thing of his career at Chelsea was that um, was that game against Liverpool, costing them the league. <laughs> I mean, arguably, I'd say the Champions League semi-final against Barca. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the move was good for Torres's career. Really, I mean, okay, the goals maybe dried up, but he actually won more things, didn't he, at Chelsea? He yeah. Won- he won the Champions League, he won the FA Cup, he yep. won the Europa League the year after, where he scored in the final as well. So it wasn't wasn't as disastrous as maybe people make out. No, I think we had we had similar things with um, Liverpool had similar things with Salah um, recently as well. Um, he had an amazing season, um, scored so many goals, and then because everyone was waiting for him to score those goals again and um, have the same kind of season. Because we had that so much pressure on them, they just couldn't perform. Because we had we had such a high expectation that it was almost impossible for them to fill anyway. Mm. Although, arguably, I'd say that the pressure the pressure you say that was on Salah, it's not like he didn't perform. He was still putting 20, 20 goals yeah. after the absolute wonder season. I think it was just distributed throughout the team. Um, yeah. Mane really stepped up. Said with Torres at Chelsea, like he wasn't doing nothing on the pitch. Mm. 
Uh, okay, uh, matchup. I'm also going to say um, Andy Carroll. Yeah, uh, that one really didn't go well, did it? I mean, not at all. It was a weird signing at the time. Even then, like Carroll had had a good season in the Championship, done all right in the first half of the Premier League season, and then they spend forty-one million on him. <laughs> I mean, I remember he was. I think it was the FA Cup final that no, the year after no, twenty twelve, when Chelsea won it two one, and he came on and he scored and had a goal line clearance made by Czech. That he did appear to like play well. It was just I don't think he could get like a sustained period of form. Could he, Andy Carroll, for them? I think it was. I think he's possibly one of those system players as yeah, well. Because yeah. I remember at Newcastle, everything kind of fed through him. Yeah. Where they were always putting balls in the box, they were kind of the whole attack was aimed towards Andy Carroll. But obviously at Liverpool, they had Suarez, uh, they had Stuart Downing at the time, who was apparently good, um, yeah. and he managed to. It was it was more of a team effort, not a individual effort. And I think, sadly, with a lot of players, it just wasn't the right system for him. No, it wasn't. Having said that, there was a third striker. Or in my eyes, there's always a third striker involved with that kind of transfer. And that was Luis Suarez also joined Liverpool. And, I mean, I thought he was pretty good for them. Yeah, I mean, his his record goes unprecedented with that, really. I mean, all the goals he scored, the, the almost winning the title. Yeah, I mean, he single-handedly did it, really, didn't he? Mm. It, was, it was basically him and Gerrard. I mean, they had John Flanagan playing at left-back. Yeah, and they nearly won it. Um, something else. I Raheem Sterling would be the same player he is now after playing um, up front with with Sturridge and Suarez. I think he learned a lot from that season, and he he played so well that actually earned him the uh, City signing. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I remember. Um, I remember Sterling at times almost being. Brought in from was it the right he played or the left yeah. at Liverpool on the right. Yeah. I think it was both wings really, wasn't he? Yeah, he can I, play them. I remember. Um, I remember him bring, being brought from the wing more centrally, almost as a right forward at times. Mm. Um, which was really interesting. He was still very young. I think nineteen, twenty at that time. Um, yeah. Obviously, the success he's had at City. Um, I think that can really be found in the in the Liverpool squad. Yeah, I mean it started there, didn't it? Mm. Um, I also just want to take the attention to the FA Cup now because I I, mm. I feel this the 2010-11 FA Cup. I think this was crucial uh, because Jack, I I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. We've got. Uh, Man City winning the FA Cup. Mm. I think this was their first piece of silverware since the um, takeover, I believe, if if I'm right. Um, recently signing Tevez um, obviously helped them a lot. What a player. What a mm. player. Um, I guess it was just the start of great things because... Obviously, they've won pretty much everything there is to win since then. Um, it was all looking up. Uh, who, who was the final against, do you know? 
they were playing against Stoke. I, I, yeah, wasn't it? Yaya Torre smashed one in from the edge of the box. Classic Yaya Torre style. Yeah. Oh. Um, it, it, it's tough at a rainy day with Stoke, though, isn't it, really? Mm. you got to be careful those rainy days at Stoke. I mean, rainy day at Stoke, it was at Wembley, mate. Like, come on. <laughs> I, I would hardly call Wembley a tough a tough place to go. Nah. Well, so must have done well to be, get into their final position, but very few people would have pegged them to be City. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to find the result. Oh, it's only 1-0. Yeah, you were yeah, right. Yeah, 1-0. Yeah, uh, Mario Balotelli, earning man in the match. Interesting. Yeah, that's the, um, that's the final where he... Uh, he swore in the interview, I think. He said, oh, my whole season's been shit, but we won, so it doesn't matter. Or something like that. Of course. Um, so now I want to uh, just give a, you know, take a little hop across the pond over to France, uh, looking at huh. looking at their season in 2010-11. And mm-hmm. the big standout to me, boys, Paris Saint-Germain. In fourth place. Yeah, well, the money wasn't there yet, was it? Really? No, I, I, I think uh, they were in their first year of investment, possibly. Yeah. Um. Lille, uh, winning the league. Yeah, I think, think Lille had a really good squad, didn't they? Yeah. They like Hazard, Hazard Javinho. Javinho, Uh I think they had a Dreesa Gay in midfield as well. The guy that's now at PSG. Yeah. 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 And Monaco, Monaco in 18th. This was before their big big Russian investment as well. Yeah, I mean, Monaco World Cup because they were, I mean, they played Champions League final 2004, but then they got relegated and now they're back up there. They're a bit of a yo-yo club in Europe. Yeah. It's a really, really bizarre, um, really bizarre um Bizarre times, really. It really shows what money can do, not necessarily in sport, but just generally. Yeah, in general, it's crazy how much money gets spent on something kind of as trivial as sport at times. And in the Champions League, I think we saw peak, peak Barcelona under Pep Guardiola, the 3 1 demolition of United. Yeah, I think they signed David Villa that summer just after Spain had won the World Cup and it. It kind of was the final piece of the jigsaw, wasn't it? Mm. In that front three. You had Messi, who was all the quality. Pedro, who works as hard as any player I've ever seen. And then David Villa with just incredible finishing. All right. So, uh, Jack, I'm just going to line up a few names, right? And just just tell me your initial thoughts on this. So, I'm just going to say the front... um, the front players of Barcelona. So we've got Messi, obviously, David Villa and Pedro. Um, my initial reactions, my initial thoughts was, is that better than today's front three? Um, I think it probably is. Um, especially with Neymar gone. I mean, if you, if you put that, that front three against Neymar, Suarez and Messi, it would be tough to compare the two. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think that was probably the best front three they've they've had, they've 
I started watching football. Um, it's it's really showed experience over um, form um, because no, they weren't young young players. Um, they were still in their peak, but they weren't teenagers, and they they just knew they knew how to play with each other, and they just working with those masters in the middle. Nothing could go wrong. Yeah, the um, I mean the the bar, the whole Barcelona team was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it was something different that team. Uh, and before. Before we go into the um, go into the final section, I just want to take a quick look at Serie A as well. Um, I'm just trying. I'm bringing up the league table now. So 2010, uh, 2011 season in Serie A. I think the I believe the season before, um, Juventus had been relegated and stripped of their titles. No, that was a couple seasons before. Yeah. Um, but. The, they finished in seventh, um, fifty-eight points, mm. twelve points outside of the uh, Champions League spots, and I think that really reflects how how relegations can affect teams. Because um, all their stars left, Ibrahimovic left, um, I think Trezeguet left. Yeah, there were some big names that left, and it. I think it just really left the two Milan clubs. Milan, AC Milan won it that year. Um, I mean, that Milan yeah, team. Didn't, didn't they just bring in Ibra that year? From I believe so. I, I believe yeah. so. I'm trying to find that inter-team as well. Um, Did, yeah, because hadn't they won the Champions League the year before that inter? So they had like Diego Melito up front. I remember him scoring twice against Bayern Munich in the final. Because they just had Mourinho as manager and then he went off to Real Madrid after winning the treble. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to list off some of the names. David, like you said, uh, Milito. They had Balotelli, Eto, Zanetti. Arnautovic was there at that time. Yeah, Marco Arnautovic. That's when Mourinho said he was unmanageable. Um, something like that. Uh, West- and then David Boys. Wesley Snyder what a player what a player yeah it was coming in off the back of that World Cup as well with the Netherlands where he, I mean was probably the best player I think I remember watching in that tournament and um, Jack someone you know very well uh, a young Philippe Coutinho Things he can do is is missed. <laughs> there's not a, there's not a single player like him in the Premier League, and no matter where he goes, I think he'll be welcomed with open arms. But I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Do you think that um, there's space for Coutinho? Say if he came back to Liverpool, just just for argument's sake, would you say there's space for Coutinho in that Liverpool side? Take Shakiri's um, bench warm up spot. Um, 
Well, I, I always prefer dodging him in the middle as opposed to on the wing. I think that's where he's best suited to. Um, and it would be the ideal the ideal three midfield that they play would be um, Wijnaldum, Tabinho and Coutinho. I think there would be room for him there, especially with um, Milner maybe making his way out, um, Henderson having to prove himself. Um, Maybe Kate obviously not being the signing they thought. I I think I think there there would be room for him, especially under Klopp, who would have so much fun playing playing with Klopp. Um, the real question is whether the fans would would be happy to have him back. Yeah, of course. I think also it it's a matter of I know Liverpool are a massive, massive, massive club, but um, I also think you just need to look at the. Look at the funding as well, because the amount of money it's gonna it would take to get Philippe Coutinho out of Barcelona. It depends what the player wants. If it depends if he wants to come back, which I've heard here and there that he might be, but if he's living luxury over in Spain, you can't blame him for for wanting to stay over there playing for the most. Well-known football club in the world. Yeah, I, I arguably, I think um, probably the the most well-known known club in the world. That or Real Madrid, person actually is between Madrid, United, and Barcelona. I feel for the most recognisable club. Mm-hmm. Purely, if we're looking at uh, looking at it on brand, um, and if if you boys don't mind, I'm I'm uh, happy to go to the final section. Yeah, I'm ready to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I want to introduce something called Social Corner. Uh, so this is where we look at what's been happening on social media and what's been happening around the world, um, either within football or not. Um, and I, I just want to discuss something that I found on Twitter uh, earlier this week. Obviously, as we all know, Ashley Young somehow has earned a um, earned a transfer to Inter Milan. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, in Italy, they're at the sem- center of this um, coronavirus epidemic, and I feel it's hitting Italy the hardest. And he's he tweeted out a thread just to give his uh, thoughts, saying. I'll, I'll just read off a couple of them now, um, saying apparently the supermarkets are calm, no one's fighting over food or abusing uh, the staff members, there's no limit. Um, apparently you're only allowed to get in, there's only two people allowed in a car. And he was saying uh, using keeping gloves in your car so when you do go to the shops, you don't have to touch the trolleys. Um, with your bare hands, you have gloves, and uh, it's recommended that you use a face mask and a scarf. Uh, and I just, I just want to contrast that to what's happening in Britain right now because everyone seems to be freaking out. Yeah, it's mental. Um, I, I've, I've heard in Britain. Obviously, we, we've all heard of people toilet roll taking, making forts and stuff. Uh, but I just I just think it's a really useful contrast from the European um, standpoint 
of this and the English one? The way I see it is um, that uh, places like Italy and the, the way they deal with politics there, I'm not going to go into politics because I don't really understand all of it, um, <laughs> but the way they deal with them is the, the big difference between here and Italy during this pandemic um, is that Italians clearly know what's going on and what they need to do. Um, a lot of English um, uh, English hostility um, and craziness is purely through what they don't understand and the f- mm. we don't know what's going on. If there's going to be a cure, we don't know how, how long this is going to go on for. And having a prime minister who also has no answers and doesn't want to hide the fact that he doesn't have the answers um, isn't helpful for the community having to look up to someone who doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Um, it is a bit crazy. And I also want to say um, Messi, Lewandowski and Pep Guardiola have all all donated uh, 1 million euros in their respective countries to try, try and fight this. Um, Matt, what are your thoughts on players and managers giving such a large sum? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to see that these players are kind of also human and not just thinking about themselves because like footballers in the modern day, I think, especially on social media, they kind of get seen as like these self-absorbed uh I don't know what the word would be, but just really self-absorbed people. Like, I'm not saying he is, but Jesse Lingard often gets kind of singled out on social media for acting, should we say, sort of childish and immaturely. But then mm. it, is, it is nice to see that there, there's a mature side to these people and there, there's a caring side as well, um, that they do kind of donate. Of course. I think it's also, I think it's also about people... When you have a certain amount of influence, uh, especially the influence that Messi has, and the certain amount of power, arguably, yeah. um, like the Spider-Man, the, right? yeah, <laughs> a great, great power comes a great responsibility. That's true. I think it is. I, th- I think you, um, you really need to look at. I think he's given a chance to look at himself morally and be, be like, I need to help this. Obviously, it's a pandemic and. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're completely exempt to that. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it's really, really nice to um, to see that people are coming together and mm. trying to do do what they can to um, try and combat this. Is there is there any other things that you you lads want to talk about at all? In general, what's going? On? I mean, it is it's just coronavirus at the moment, isn't it? It's it's everywhere, yeah. <laughs> literally, it's everywhere you... and being talked about everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack, you got any words? Stay safe. Stay safe. Yes, Very wise. Right. Stay at home. Yeah, stay at home. Stay safe. Um, hopefully, this has brought uh, some entertainment for people who will be listening and the people who this will potentially reach. Um, I know I've enjoyed myself. Uh, I've enjoyed that. That was fun. Yeah. (laughs) Jack, how about you? Okay. Um, Good. I'm glad. Um, 
we're we're gonna try and make this a weekly thing. Um and as as things get better and as everyone can function back to normal, the quality of the podcast will go up um due to social distancing and not being allowed in a room together. <laughs> yeah. I just want to see your faces um, again. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, same time next week, I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I don't think I've got anything in the diary. Other than sitting at home, quarantine. <laughs> okay, um, Jack, thank you very much. Matcha, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And to all the listeners, this has been the Kickabout Podcast.